Welcome, everyone. I am Patrick Lushwan, and I am your host of Faculty Stories Tell Me Your Why. In this podcast, I ask faculty to share what drives their work, what they do, what they do. This question not only gives context to the human stories that drive our mission, it also provides it life and purpose. In faculty affairs, our own why is to create an environment where every faculty member is seen in their whole identity, inundated with positive experiences throughout all stages of their career. This is why we shine a light on these extraordinary individuals. We complete each discussion by asking our guests for a piece of advice to share with the next generation of scholars. These unscripted conversations are as diverse and unique as each of the individuals, yet they have one thing in common, the passion that fuels the work of these educators, innovators, and public servants. Join me in following their stories. So good morning, Bart. Thank you so much for joining me. It's such a pleasure to have you. Um, I've attended a few of the conferences that you've organized. And of course, we have a lot of interest in common in uh, environmental studies and environmental sciences. It's such a pleasure to have you with, uh, with us today. And um, so if you don't mind starting by introducing you briefly, sharing when you join OSU and a little bit about the work that you do. Yeah, what a gift. Thank you for having me. Um, I joined Ohio State in 2016. And if you'd asked me then that I was going to be living in Ohio, I think I, 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 you know, I, I didn't really think I would be coming to Ohio State, you know, right before that. I, I'd been down at the University of Alabama. I'd been hired to teach environmental history, which is what I do. And, um, you know, it's this field that basically thinks about how humans have impacted the natural environment, but also the ways in which nature shapes the course of human events. We were just talking about the wildfires, you know, or uh, climate change or, um, you know, hurricanes, whatever it might be. And of course, it's dialectical, the interactions between these two. It's it's a fascinating field. It's been around since the 1970s or so. Started as a kind of response to the modern environmental movement where historians were saying, well, what if we put nature back into our stories and, and take it more seriously as an actor and as something that's being reshaped by human events? What can we say? And I think what's so fun is it's revolutionized our understanding of the past, you know, and it's it's fun to be revisiting things like the American Revolution or the Civil War, but putting an environmental lens on it, you see a, a whole new story. Um, I'll say one thing there about that. My advisor, when he went to get his PhD in history, I went to the University of Virginia. So I was studying with this um, scholar named Ed Ayers. He said his mother said to him, why are you going to get a history PhD, baby? We already knew what happened, you know? And I think what's so great about this field is that we don't really know what happened. And I think the new science and technologies that we have to understand the past has really reshaped um, our understanding. And, and, and in doing so has helped us figure out how can we create a more sustainable economy? And I think that's at the core of what I'm trying to do is how can we learn lessons from the past that can help us build an economy and a society that's more eco-conscious. My main focus has been on big businesses. I've written about the history of Coca-Cola and its environmental footprint around the world, the history of Monsanto slash Bayer, the German company that bought Monsanto, this genetically engineered seed ag business. 
And I just finished a project on the history of Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, Walmart, FedEx, and Bank of America, all of which are Southern companies. I came from the American South. And the, the book thinks about how these businesses revolutionized our, our economy, but also changed our, our climate and our planet by you know, engaging in all these logistics revolutions. So it's been a great place to be. We have now something like eight or nine environmental historians uh, in our department. And um, we're probably one of the best places to do environmental history in the world. And I, yeah, again, didn't anticipate coming to Ohio, but at that time they said, we're going to build this program. And, and I kind of didn't believe everybody. I thought, how could you hire all these people and make it happen? But uh, thanks to Nick Breifogel and others here in the department, they did. And uh, I haven't looked back. This has become home. Um, I think we're, we're doing really radical work here. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what we create in the next, uh, next several years. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Uh, it's interesting. I did move up from the South to um, been in Texas for 22 years um, and never thought I'd be in Ohio. And of course, I we have the environmental, um, you know, history in common, but I come from the physical sciences piece and when I came here and people say, yeah, there is a very strong group of environmental historians. And a lot of my work has been from the industrial revolution to today and all of the changes in the environment. Um, and I can completely understand. Uh, it's not usual to have humanists look at this uh, work, which is basically has always been something we've missed in the mm -hmm. physical sciences, um, understanding the human component that drives the change. So I, I definitely feel like a fish in water right now. It's like, wow, this is such an exciting place to be. And if I could say something about that, Patrick, you know, it's interesting. Like I, um, I started an undergrad. We were talking about being close to each other. You were in Montreal. I was in Hanover, New Hampshire. You know, I was studying um, the history uh, or doing biochemistry. I, I went off to school very much driven by thinking about science as the best way that I could have an impact in the world. And I still think that's true. And if you look at our work in environmental history, a lot of us have that kind of scientific training and, and ability to go over to uh, Lonnie Thompson, Ellen Thompson's lab and, and talk to them about what's going on with climate. And, and we love that. And, and so I think in a way, environmental history was a, a way for me to combine the sciences with the humanities, you know, and 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 it's it's a it's a wonderful home for that. So for anyone out there in the community who's listening to this, like we 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 want we welcome folks into the history department who are coming from these other fields to help us think through this stuff. Um, and uh, there are no boundaries really, and it's one of the great the great fun of doing this, you know, it's just getting to go around this huge university and feel like all of it's fair game, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I was myself at one time, you know, firmly rooted in the kind of biochemistry genetics and studying that kind of thing, and then made my way to this field. So, um, maybe there'll be some others who hear this and want to come over and join us. <laughs> well, you make a really great point about the combination of human you know, the humanities and the sciences in this common body of knowledge that is inseparable and that, you know, feeds from each other's methods and analyses. Um, so I think that I would like to go to the next um, part. And I, I think I heard a little bit some of the things that drove you into that field, 
but um, I would really love for you to share uh, why you've decided um, to actually become a humanist, to become this a, a humanist that looks into the science and uses the scientific method to understand the history of humans and the relationship between nature and humans. And when did you discover that why that animates your work? It took it took me some time, you know. I I but but I think one thing I could just say at the very beginning was I was I was always a kid, even as a kid, someone who was deeply who wanted to be a part of solving big problems, you know, who who felt like um there were big stakes. I would even go back, um, I've had a, a strange spiritual journey in my life, which we don't often talk about in academia, but I started out, you know, in, in the deep South and there was a lot of dis discussion about religion and God and all these types of things. And I, um, I'm, I'm a very different person than I was back then, but I think that that set me up to think about big picture things, you know, doing community service, thinking about public service, thinking about, you know, getting involved in, uh, in, in, and trying to quote save the world you know i think that for me was something i really i i always cared about and so i always wanted to go big and i think when i went to to undergrad i thought that biochemistry and medicine to be honest with you that's what i wanted to be was to be a doctor that's the best way i can help people is to go in and if they have a cardiac issue or whatever i can i can i can you know potentially save a life that to me was really appealing i think that kind of um profession in which you could serve society in such a, a tangible way you know i even worked for the center for disease control my first summer after my first year i i i was going to work on vaccines uh, i did work on vaccines and worked on you know we're thinking about big disease you know problems like tuberculosis um and but slowly over time, I kept taking all these history classes. I, I was in the thing about I went to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire that their curriculum was just like wild. You could take anything. And I, that's what I loved. I don't think I took many. It's funny. I teach American history, here, but I was taking like modern Indian history and all these other things. I was always taking that on the side. While I was doing these science classes. And slowly but surely, I think, Patrick, I found the power of history, you know, that history has power that in the same way that you can heal a life or you can save someone, you know, in terms of a medical intervention, that if you use history effectively to shape policy or to think about how we can design something better or business, you know, strategy that could be less harmful to the environment, that you could make a difference. And I think I drank that Kool-Aid, you know, I had several historians who were kind of preaching it, but I, but I really came to believe it that history could be that kind of thing. Now, and and I should say that some people in history push back on this, say that's presentist, you know, there's a big debate about this. Is that, does that somehow cloud your ability to be a good historian because you're too focused on today and not really putting yourself in the past? And I'd argue that I think there's a way to both care about how history can shape the future, but also be true to the past by, by making sure that you're not, you know, at, at every turn trying to bring the present back into the past, but paying attention to your sources, listening to them very carefully, these types of things. But that's really what, what, what I do. And I should say two things, last things I'll say on this. When I went to the University of Virginia for my PhD, I went to study the history of Southern public schools in the South. I had been a public school teacher. I had kind of 
imbibed this idea that being a teacher would be one way in which I could have a real impact on society. In fact, if you look at my websites and things, it'll say teacher first. I think of myself as a teacher first and foremost. And I had taught in the Southern public schools. I'd seen how segregation had essentially, you know, destroyed um, the public school system in the South had led to these vast inequalities and under-resourced schools. I'd taught in them and how the, how just the, the, the evil really of Jim Crow segregation had led to so many problems among other issues that had been there. And so that's what I went to go write about. But then I found this field of environmental history, my second year. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute, science, environment, these big issues. I still care about these questions of segregation, Jim Crow, the South. Um, but I kind of made this switch. And that's the other thing, I'm, you know, for, for those listening, like I think all of us have had these winding journeys, but it's useful to share to, to people earlier in their career that, that that's the beauty of academia, that you come in and you get these cross-pollinations going on. And then all of a sudden, here I am, an environmental historian. And I, I would never look back. To think about a historical field that uses science and history to try and figure out how we become better humans uh, living on this planet. What a gift. What a great thing to be able to do every day. You know, I'm in my office in June. <laughs> summertime, And I love it. Uh, you know, I want to be outside. I'm going to go hiking and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think that young, that young kid who wanted to do something that would actually help others. Um, I got, I get to do it here at Ohio state and that, you know, uh, I feel very lucky and I feel very lucky that Ohio state has provided the resources. I'm not just buttering up. <laughs> Those who might be listening in the ministry, but really we've been given great capacity to do big things here. So uh, it's home. And I feel, I, don't, I can't imagine doing anything else. Thank you so much, Bart. Um, a couple of things, if you don't mind, first of all, you're a fantastic storyteller. And, um, one of my secret ambition is that the, you know, uh, faculty across OSU and elsewhere listen to these podcasts and start understanding their own story to, through those that are being told and how to tell the story. And you did this thing that a friend of mine taught me because her partner is a writer, is a country music writer. And you basically told your story through two bookends. You started and ended with the same image, you as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. And in between, you shared that journey, which is definitely not linear, definitely was, you know, had a number of influences, had intention to it, but also you let yourself be guided by the discovery. And, um, and what I find in the conversations I'm having with all faculty is that if there is one common element is that journey is never linear. That journey is always inspirational, not always easy, always has these moments of oop, changing course. Um, but it is still a journey that, you know, enriches the individuals. And you've shared that story in an absolutely beautiful way. So I appreciate that very much. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. And you, you alluded to this a little bit. Um, and if you don't mind, you know, um, addressing the last question is, if you had one piece of advice to share with the next generation of scholars, those rising graduate students, postdocs, early career faculty who are interested in academia, 
course, you've shared the passion you have for working in academia, coming from a different um, a different uh, place, being a teacher first. What would you share with that generation? Mm-hmm. I think um, it's somewhat of a trinity package together, but that they're all around the same thing. The message would be, you know, if we go back to that kid, um, you know, is dyslexic. Uh, according to the, the adults that were around me, they, they sent me to a special school. I went to the speech school. Uh, most of the kids around me had hearing impairments or we were all one, or one way or another, speech impediments, whatever it might be, seen as aberrant, you know, or having real challenges. In fact, I doubt that anyone would have suspected I would have been writing books years later, given the kind of issues I was facing. And I know what many academics are feeling, which is feelings of insecurity, feelings of imposter syndrome. Maybe I've actually talked to some here at Ohio State who say, no, I don't have that. I just feel like I'm brilliant. And uh, wow, what a gift to have that kind of confidence. But um, I think on paper, especially those of us who are now more senior here at the university, it can look like, well, it's all, you know, they just had it all figured out. But I still feel those feelings of imposter syndrome. I still feel those feelings of insecurity. But I think the thing I've learned is to lean into them, you know, um, that my teaching became better when I stopped trying to hide what I didn't know and just opened up myself to be more vulnerable, you know. I think vulnerability is something that, uh, you know, you think about these challenging PhD comps and things where you're supposed to be tough and fight through it. We're taught those things. And in some ways, you know, those are useful skills. But but weirdly, when I've become more vulnerable, I feel like my research has opened up. My ability to talk to people, my subjects, and in a way that I think has been more illuminating to allow for connection um, has, has really made made things better. And it certainly has made me a better teacher because I'm learning from my students. I'm, I'm, I'm learning so much every year because instead of saying, rushing through a question, a student's asked me that I don't know the answer to, we pause, we sit and just acknowledge, I don't have the answer there. Let's see what we, let's go find out. Would you help me find out the answer to that? Um, so, so those, I think, um, making yourself vulnerable. And then I think at the end, of all that too, just enjoying it, enjoying the journey a little bit, you know, <laughs> pinching yourself every now and then when you're crossing the oval. I mean, I said a gift several times, maybe we'll end, we'll bookend again there. I mean, it's a gift. It's a gift to walk across a campus like this, to be able to think about the ancient mysteries of the world and trying to solve big problems. So, you know, I think for me, uh, that younger person who's kind of come this long journey, um, I'm no less... I have some of the same fears that I started out with, but uh, I think I'm more comfortable sitting with them, you know, as a scholar and being, and and then finding that 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 leads to to, to great opportunities. So I don't know if that'll be helpful to somebody, but that's certainly my journey. Well, let me then end with a bookend of my own uh, booking, bookending your own, you know, way to start. You are a gift. You were a gift today. Um, the vulnerability, the openness, the genuine way you share 
um, how to be compassionate and empathetic is quite extraordinary. And I really appreciate you for, you know, opening yourself and showing that you don't need to have all the answers, nor to appear, you know, uh, in control all the time. Uh, we're humans. And I think that a whole lot of the pressure that we're going through is to appearing that we have all these answers mm -hmm. to model in a position of, you know, being an established faculty, um, being able to model the fact that you're still learning, you're still, you know, um, in a place where you don't have all the answers is quite extraordinary. And that's a gift to me. It's a gift to a listener. Um, and I really, really appreciate you for sharing, sharing it that way. Thank you. This is, uh, it's it's nice. I mean, uh, I think we don't often get a chance to reflect. So thank you for the opportunity to reflect on the journey. In a way, you asked me when I came here and I had to think, when did I come here? You know, um, with the pandemic and all that we've lived through. Um, you know, I think part of it too, Patrick, is just like us getting to be friends, you know, and, and realizing I think it's easy nowadays to find difference or whatever. To I, I'm just all about let's finding ways to connect and have conversations. And uh, I think in a society so fraught right now, you know, we, we've got to have more patience and, um, and, and compassion, as you said, empathy. These, these are striking me as the, the, the very things that are critical to us getting out of the, the crises we face. So, so again, thanks for the opportunity. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing today. Um, awesome. I have learned a great deal and um, I really look forward to have more conversations. So Great. have a fantastic day and thank you. Thank you. See you next time. The Faculty Stories Tell Me Your Why podcast is produced by The Ohio State University's Office of Faculty Affairs. For more information, visit us at faculty.osu.edu. I'm your host, Patrick Lushwein. Thanks for listening and join us again soon.